0: By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. We gotta find a paw print, that's the first clue. We put it in a notebook. And now what do we do? Blues,
1: blues, blues, blues. We gotta find another paw print. That's the second clue. We put it in a notebook.
2: Now what do we do? Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. What you just heard is an early theme to Blue's Clues, an inexplicably popular American children's television series that premiered on Nick Jr. 25 years ago. It's one of those shows that's a byword for simple innocent if somewhat tedious kids programming. But my guest today, veteran film and TV critic Christian Toto, reports that even the world of kids TV is succumbing to ideologically torqued influences. In a recent article for Real Clear Investigations, he describes how the newest iteration of Blue's Clues features a song about trans and non-binary identities. And Netflix is preparing an animated version of Anti-Racist Baby, a book by Ibram X. Kendi that teaches toddlers to confess their racism. I can't wait for that one. Christian Toto is a contributing film critic and reporter for The Washington Times. He also gives movie recommendations at whatwouldtotowatch.com. Here are excerpts from our conversation. I started watching cartoons in the 1970s, and I remember that even then there were messages in the cartoons, and, you know, eat the food pyramid, or, you know, stay in school. Children's shows tended to sometimes lecture you. To some extent is what you're describing here in that
1: vein haven't producers always been doing this you know i think the producers would say yes we're just continuing a tradition of kids tv and they'd probably cite mr rogers as an example of someone who who didn't just entertain us but taught us about things you know uh, empathy and 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 things of that nature i think part of the difference now is the lack of subtlety but also i think you know at times you if you wanted to tell children to eat their vegetables I think there are very few parents who'd say, Oh wait, stop, don't we don't want that. We want our kids to eat sticky food. <laughs> you know, but I, I think there the subjects being broached today, I don't think there's as much universal appeal or there's sort of a, a sense that maybe Either even if I agree with it, maybe it's too soon for young kids to appreciate these lessons, or maybe I have mixed feelings about the, some of the content going into the show. So I think that's the difference here. Sesame Street introduced uh, very
2: subtly. It's true that's difference in terms of subtleness, but racial themes just. There were points in the mid to late 20th century when just having black characters on children's shows was seen as controversial. Mr. Rogers had that famous episode where he and the black postman, they, they both cooled off. He had like a child's wading pool that they both put their feet. And it was, it was interpreted by everybody, not kids, but by parents as an argument against segregation in swimming pools, which I think until the 1970s was still a thing in the United States. Didn't people back in those days object in the same way?
1: I'm sure they did, and I think it's a great point. And, you know, it's interesting that what the conversations we're having right now, how will they be the same and or different in 20 years or maybe even 10 years? So you could argue that some of the content that's going into children's programming today will be normal and normalized in 10 or 15 years where we'll look back and say, why? Why? Why do we have a kerfuffle about that? But others may not be and and also i think that um when you talk about children's programming it it becomes more sensitive you know parents have a million things to juggle when they're when they're kind of taking care of their kids keeping them safe keeping them educated keeping them fed my kid doesn't eat that much so i i think there's sort of a little bit like oh gosh we need to think about this now too and kind of kind of balance these messages and again there are some parents will say i love these messages but boy my four-year-old is not really ready to process it yet. This is a more sophisticated conversation, and he or she just isn't there. And I, I don't want it. I don't want them to introduce introduce it quite yet.
2: You have an interesting quote here, where uh, it's from Trisha Flanagan. I think she was a Republican U.S. Senate aspirant, and she tweeted: "If tax dollars are going to go toward PBS doing something called a drag queen story hour for three to eight-year-olds," She said, I demand equal tax dollars go to Bible stories, which is sort of an interesting analogy. Uh, I have three kids, and I remember at one point, Berenstain Bears, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with that, but you also saw it in in a popular cartoon series called Veggie Tales, where like every once in a while in Veggie Tales or Berenstain Bears, there'd be this somewhat overt Christian reference. I didn't really think much of it, but I didn't see anything wrong with Christianity being introduced as a theme. But I'm guessing that PBS would never permit that kind of theme in any of their cartoon shows. Or does PBS show VeggieTales? I don't think
1: so. I think it's a it's a separate uh, platform where you can see that particular show. But I I think what we're talking about is a a cultural playground where it's dramatically left of center when it comes to specific messaging, if the if the messaging has a political component. Um, and you could say that sort of being Christian is sort of generically right of center. So, you know, you have A Veggie Tales, but then you have a, a whole wealth of other shows that are dealing with issues. So I, I think from a uh, ideological sp- uh, spectrum, it, it's wildly out of balance if, you, if balance is required here. So I, I understand that. I also think there's ways to kind of... Um, cover themes that could be more subtle and more uh, agreeable to all, for sure. Uh, and also there's a bit of transparency uh, that I think is necessary. VeggieTales, I-, I think the brand is that it it's more Bible-based, it's more Christian in tone. So I don't think a parent would be overly shocked to find those messages in there. But if you're watching Blue's Clues, and all of a sudden there are, are sort of complex themes about sexuality, then that might take you by surprise. You didn't see that coming, in a sense.
2: We'll talk about that example in a bit, because it figures prominently in your, in your article. I wanted to talk a little bit about the role of drag queens here. At Quillette, we actually we have a drag queen who, who writes for us. And it's really interesting because in, in recent years, you've had these hyper-progressive people on the left say that drag queens are problematic because it's gay men who aren't really trans, but they're dressing like women and it's performative and it takes away from the seriousness of trans identity. There was, there was actually a, a pair of drag queens who ran a story hour here at the public library in Toronto. I think their names were Fuffy and Flay or something like that. And they actually quit the gig because because the Library of Toronto hosted a talk by so-called gender-critical feminists. And they decided that that was transphobic. So uh, they ended their drag story hour. But I've seen videos of these drag story hours for young kids. And what you tend to see often is the mums, and it's usually mums who are there, super into it. There's a performative element, like they're showing how comfortable they are with it, and they brought their kids here. But then the kids kind of just look sort of confused. I have no problem with drag queens, but a lot of this is just, it's impossible to explain what a drag queen is unless you first get to certain subjects that are just tough to explain to a kid, like sexual orientation and gender identity and the history of camp.
1: And, you know, like, I mean, a lot of this is just, it's too young. Yeah, and that's one of the... One of the more significant complaints about this particular trend: it's too young. They're not ready. Uh, you know, kids can only process a certain amount of information. They only have a certain amount of life experiences. My son, when he was like three, was painting his toenails because because it was kind of goofy and fun. It didn't really mean anything. He didn't have any sort of connection to it. He just liked the color, and he hasn't done it since. Like, you know, that it, kids just aren't processing information. I have to say I'm an adult and I am struggling with certain issues and certain new thinking, and I'm trying to kind of wrestle around with it. And, you know, I'm, I have empathy for everyone to the best I can, but you know, these are complex things and, and there's an element of drag queen culture, which has a sexual component. And, and it seems like that's not the greatest fit. I, I, you know, if Mr. Rogers were, were here today, you know i think he'd be talking about gay issues and 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 reaching out to gay communities and i think that would probably be a wonderful thing but this particular way toward that doesn't seem like it's as helpful as it wants so to So
2: you talk about Rugrats from the 1990s and i vaguely remember Rugrats it was this kind of like a little rascals type thing but animated frankly i never saw the appeal mm-hmm. but anyway it's being rebooted and it's going to feature a single lesbian mom character your article is interesting because some of the stuff I just some of the stuff you were reporting I thought was genuinely concerning. But like having a lesbian mom character in in a cartoon, what what's the problem with that?
1: I think on the surface there is no problem. I also think in a way the mother of a particular character I don't even know why she would even need to have a sexual life in a cartoon. Like it it does seem a little odd. It, it you know there's been a lot of talk about uh we need to have a gay character in Star Wars. That's just sort of one of the pop culture conversations. And part of me thinks, well, you know, when I watch Star Wars back in the day or even now, you know, sure, there's the Han Solo Princess Leia romance, but a lot of it is not about romance at all. I don't know. There's no sex. It's almost a sexless world. If I go see a rom-com that's sexless, I think there's a problem. But if I go see a Star Wars movie where, you know, the robots and the Wookiees and the different Ewoks aren't expressing their, their emotional lives, I, I don't think I care. So... I, I think that's the one thing, but I I, I think it's just part of a, an overall story, sort of a tapestry we're seeing here. So, yeah, I agree. On the surface, you know, my kids have friends and their parents are uh, in same-sex relationships, and I have zero problem with that. But I, I think it's sort of the the overwhelming nature of this trend in a way. Uh, I, I think that maybe— has an emotional impact on people for, even for those who are on board with it uh i guess this was
2: the stuff of satire a few years back that we were going to start indoctrinating kids when they were literally still babies in diapers but that seems to be the trend ibram x kendi uh he has this thing it's When I first saw it, I thought it might be a satire. It's called Anti-Racist Baby, and it's going to be produced on
1: Netflix. What's that about? Yeah, it's based on a a board book and a picture book, and it's talking about racism. And I haven't read the book, and I'm sure it's a quick read because it's for kids. But, uh, I mean, these are the themes that we're seeing in the culture. It's not enough not to be a racist. You need to be anti-racist. And Tom Hanks has come under fire uh, by NPR in America for for that issue saying that he's played a lot of white heroes and that maybe he should be doing more for the cause and he should be maybe maybe producing movies that talk about racial unrest things like that so i think that's another sort of thread that's going through all of this right now is that on a cultural level it's no longer enough not to you know hate people for the their skin or their religion it's you need to kind of go above and beyond that so i think that's where this is sort of going as well
2: i think there's a policy difference between publicly subsidized entities like public television and public radio doing this kind of stuff and the free market like in the case of this adaptation of anti-racist baby i <laughs> can't believe i'm saying anti-racist baby but it's a thing I mean, Netflix, it's a for-profit company. They decided that this was something they wanted to do. To a certain extent, this is just a free market, no?
1: It is. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these various projects uh, pan out, at least from a commercial point of view. Uh, there's been some word that uh, Nickelodeon is suffering in, in a ratings point of view in recent years. But, you know, one thing, I, I, I review films, I cover Hollywood, I kind of do a, a big picture look at the industry and at the culture. Is that a lot of times these projects are greenlit and they come out and they fail. And I don't think that really is a red flag to the people who made them. I think there's a there's a part of Hollywood that wants to make money. It's show business. And there's also a part of the creative industry that wants to change the culture and impact the culture. And I think they uh, they will sleep well at night, even though a movie like Charlie's Angels, which was very woke and feminist, will bomb. Because they know that that movie will circulate on streaming channels and HBO and all sorts of different platforms in per- perpetuity. And they've done a little, you know, they've done their effort to kind of change the, change the way we think in a way. So I, I, think, I think they're okay with the, some of these projects not being successful, in part because they have others that are very successful and they, and they pay the bills.
2: If you're a regular listener to the Quillette podcast, you'll be familiar with BetterHelp, one of our original advertisers. Well, thanks to everything that's happened since early 2020 and the stresses that the pandemic has put on everyone, the online therapy services at BetterHelp are more relevant and in demand than ever. BetterHelp will help you unlock the tools you need to help with motivation, depression, anxiety, battling your temper, stress, dealing with insecurity in relationships or at work, whatever you need. Especially at a time like this, no one should be anxious about admitting that they're going through normal human struggles, because you deserve to be happy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, and you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't feel comfortable doing so. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. And Quillette podcast listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash Quillette. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com, slash, Quillette. Thanks to BetterHelp for their sponsorship. And now back to the Quillette podcast. Well, it's interesting you say that, because here in Canada, the publisher, the book publisher, who publishes Jordan Peterson, it's kind of this interesting situation. I think this book made something like $35 million. Penguin Random House, if I remember correctly. They actually were able to shovel a lot of this money back to bail out the U.S. parent company, just because Peterson made so much cash. But the success of Peterson horrified all these woke editors here in Toronto, and instead, they put their efforts into promoting this transgender Canadian writer who, who wrote this book and like this huge marketing campaign. And I think, like, from a numerical point of view, the book bombed. And then the same author put out a novel that sold, like, 17 copies, something like that. But from an internal point of view, the editors who handled this author were just, like, heroes. And arguably, it was the right thing to do from a staff retention point of view. You've got a couple of dozen people who work inside, and they just feel like they're social justice champions, because they publish this unreadable stuff from somebody who's super woke. And maybe that's what gets them in the door week after week to publish people like Jordan Peterson, who they don't like, but who
1: actually make money. Is that kind of what might be going on in Netflix? Oh, yeah. I I think it's a you cited a very interesting example. And I'm sure that happens uh, across the board. Uh, There are certain projects. It's funny, when I when I get these press releases via email about certain movies or TV shows, and I could, I could, I don't need to be, have a crystal ball to say, oh gosh, that's not going to be very successful, but often that's not the sole purpose of it. There are other forces at play and, uh, that's important. And, you know, you would think that as a, as a business, you'd put everything out. there would be about getting eyeballs on the particular streaming show or their movies or whatever, but it's not always, that's not always the driving force. And, uh, I, I think an interesting example from a few years back, was Roseanne. Roseanne Barr rebooted her classic TV show. It was wildly successful. I'm sure it was making a lot of money for ABC. And then she let loose with a really awful, terrible, racially charged tweet, just one tweet, which she quickly apologized for. And that show was erased. Now, they did bring it back. Without her, it's been modestly successful. But ABC said, we we would rather lose all that money in order to kind of let people know that we won't stand for a racist tweet.
2: One of the interesting elements of the modern culture war is that, in contrast to pretty much up to five or ten years ago, it's now corporate America that's very much on the left side of the barricades. And so you've got people like you, and I guess, I'm not sure how you self-identify politically, but you strike me as a fairly conservative voice in your activism, a lot of your critique is directed at big corporations, which it's the same target that, in other contexts, the left goes after, and, and certainly, historically, the left is targeted. So you've got Lego, and you, you talk about how Lego recently announced an Everyone is Awesome toy set, honoring diversity in time for LGBTQ Pride Month. Lego is an interesting example because I know a lot of hyper-progressive activists on Twitter who went bananas at Lego because Lego still makes a mint off Harry Potter-themed Lego, uh, including from <laughs> me. I, I got the Hogwarts Castle set and I built it with my daughter. It was, it's great. Uh, and I, t- I tweeted about how I, I hoped uh, J.K. Rowling got a, a nice cut from my purchase. <laughs> as our listeners know, and I'm sure as you know, J.K. Rowling is a, a bet noir on the left because she believes biology is a thing and not a figment of Eurocentric imagination. Is Lego here, you can almost hear the gears turning in the marketing department. It's like, well, we got in trouble with the left for this Harry Potter stuff. Let's just, you know, balance the ledger with a big LGBTQ splash. Is this just kind of like
1: ideological base covering? You know, in this example, I would argue not. I don't know what the inner thinking was behind this particular endeavor. But I mean, I just think this is part of a cultural trend where corporations are trying to uh, be in lockstep with the social justice cause, and it's not just Lego. I mean, I'm sure if you went through any sort of, uh, if you went through Twitter and looked at all the different corporations on a on, during Pride Month or a, a Black History Month or things like that, I think you'd find dozens and dozens of corporations sharing similar messages. So again, I think that's just part of a the larger picture, and I I also think it's an interesting time because. I am right of center. I I guess in a way, maybe I'm more libertarian, but I I focused in more recent months on issues that I think would be more universal, like free speech and and creative expression. And I'm often aligning myself with people on the left, like a Ricky Gervais, because I think even though we don't agree on politics, I think we agree on the larger cultural issue that you should be able to say what you want to say as a comedian. So I, I think it's interesting times. And you mentioned J.K. Rowling, she was a very rock rib, progressive voice, beloved on the left. But when she kind of uh, went off the the sort of the playbook on trans issues in particular, uh, she was written off entirely. And uh, so one of the things I like to do, and maybe because my wife is very left of center and I'm not, is, is reach across the aisle when it's possible and also, uh, you know, speak up on issues where there's some common ground. And I feel like that's increasingly rare, but uh, it is out there. It is possible. In the case of breakfast cereal, and yes, we're talking about breakfast cereal, you've
2: got Tony the Tiger, this is Frosted Flakes, telling kids they're great, and then you've got this whole multicolored pride thing. Uh, sorry, is this, maybe this isn't frosted. I'm, I'm looking here at the picture of the box, and they've actually taken all of the branding off except for like this LGBT stuff. It just says "Together with Pride." Uh, inside the box, is this is this a new cereal or is this Frosted Flakes? I don't know. The cereal looks like a
1: combination. It, it, the Frosted Flakes are more.
2: Sorry, correction, update. I got it's not just Tony the Tiger. I see Snap Crackle and Pop. I see Digum, the the frog, and I see Toucan. Looks like an all star of all the uh, Kellogg's. Yeah, it's like the League of Superheroes. <laughs> I'm impressed you know all the
1: characters. By the way, maybe that's a marketing. When I was a wing. kid, every Saturday, these were these were my companions. Yeah, you know, I, I, this is maybe a, a slight tangent, but I think one of the things that intrigues me and confounds me is that a lot of the corporations make moves like this, and I, I don't have a problem with. With it, really, I don't care. I mean i'm I'm reporting on it as a story, and it was an example that sort sort of fit into the what I'm covering. but I, I think a lot of times these corporations care way too much what's happening on Twitter and not realizing that maybe they're making a mistake by going in these directions. in that is it a mistake, though? Well, you know, I, I don't I think you can just make a great cereal, but
2: if I'm a parent, I'm buying cereal for my kids. I'm paralyzed with guilt because I know my kids like sugary cereals. I like sugary cereals. I don't want to <laughs> get them the sugary cereals. I want to get them the stuff that tastes like something you'd build a house with. And so if I reach for a sugary cereal, I'm guilty. What better to assuage my guilt than knowing that I am expressing my allyship with the entire LGBTQ community? At the moment you reach for a cereal box, you're looking for something to get rid of your guilt for all the sugar you're about to shove down your kids' throats. This is
1: actually pretty smart. Or you could say if someone maybe is exhausted by the messaging in popular culture and then is walking down the aisle and sees this box and goes, oh. Yeah, maybe. Again, and then just goes by as uh, like, like Cheerios or something, even if the person didn't have any anti-gay thoughts, but just is sort of overwhelmed by the messaging, like, oh my gosh, it's even in my cereal aisle. I've got to deal with sort of this. So I, I mean, I, th- I think it's one of the things that surprises me about the corporate push of late is that it seems like you'll attract some new people and you'll deflect some new people. Or maybe you could uh, segment it by market. Part of what's going on here in the culture is that if you're a conservative, you look at all these things happening and you you, you see corporations and maybe even pop culture being a bit bubbleized where they don't even realize that some people may look at that Kellogg's box and go, oh, oh but come on, really? I mean, this isn't like faculty meeting at Berkeley.
2: Like these people have been doing detailed market research for years. I got to believe
1: this has been focused, tested in Peoria. I'm not as uh, convinced about that. I also think if you're the person in that office meeting and you think that there may be sort of a negative impact of this campaign? Right. I don't think you raise your hand. I don't think you're comfortable enough to raise your hand, even if you don't agree with the message you're going to share. I don't think that message comes out. It's the same reason I think like uh, the Oscars are going to have Jimmy Kimmel as the host. An example: Jimmy Kimmel is hated by half the country. He he's aggressively pushed away people on the right. He he even said it himself. He said, you know. As far as losing Republican viewers, he says it's not good riddance, but riddance. Like, he doesn't care, and he's actively become someone who is alienating to half the country in America. And yet I think the Oscars or, or the Emmys or whoever is kind of putting on a show will say, we're going to hire Jimmy Kimmel. I don't think they realize that he's a divisive figure. I, I really don't. I don't think that it enters their mind.
2: Well, I think you definitely were onto something when you talk about do you want to be the person in the room who said, hey, <laughs> do we really want— who can and dig them as, as the voices of LGBTQ acceptance on our cereal boxes. And, and nobody in the room wants to say, actually, that's like a really dumb idea. Because in journalism, I know, and I've been in those rooms where you say, oh, my God, this article is so stupid. How could it possibly have been published? And, and the reason is because you, you might have had a room full of people, maybe all of whom thought the article was <laughs> stupid when they were making the editorial decision. Individually, they think it's dumb. As a group, they think it's brilliant. So ultimately, these kids are going to grow up, and my own kids are interesting. You're starting to see 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids who really roll their eyes a lot when their 30-year-old woke teacher starts prattling on about pronouns and stuff like that. If you tell a kid black, they'll say white. You tell a kid white, they'll say black. It's, you know, at that age, they become rebellious. To a certain extent, Maybe the kids can't make their own buying
1: decisions now or even their own viewing decisions. Is there going to be a pushback? It's an interesting perspective. I think it's very possible. I see both in my kids. I see sometimes as eye rolling and sometimes they kind of regurgitate the, oh, that's a racist comment that we heard on a talk show or something when it really wasn't. It was pretty mild, if not completely innocuous. So I think they're sort of both aware of what's going on in the culture and uh, sometimes they see the silliness of it as well. But you're right. It's it's a mashup
2: of both parroting it and being suspicious because, and this is a good thing, they have like zero tolerance for actual racism or actual homophobia. Mm-hmm. And that's distinct from my generation. Like we were we were pretty bad. They have no tolerance for that, which is good. But they're suspicious when they see it wielded for profit or for payback. Mm-hmm. They're suspicious of the motives of people who weaponize it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, this a bit of a tangent, but it's something I think is noteworthy. I've been binging Modern Family, a great uh, ABC sitcom that I think ran about 11 seasons, and we're watching it all, and we're kind of near the end of the, of the run. And so we're talking maybe 2019, 2020, and I watch an episode that dealt with a lot of sort of the the woke philosophy And you can't say this, you can't say that. And the position was very interesting. Now, this is an ABC TV show. This was a show famous for having a a gay couple as part of the ensemble that I I think had a real impact on the culture. Which, by the way,
2: were super funny. The whole show is funny. One of the two gay
1: characters was a former football player. They were both incredibly gifted comic actors. One of a, a zillion reasons why it was such a wonderful show is because they didn't lean into that. It just that was that was who they are and then they told they told stories they had relationships they had jokes that were legitimately funny and i think that's where we're moving away from a culture where if that show came out today we might expect those gay characters to have certain characteristics we may rebel if they're shown as being weak or as being narcissistic so these are very three-dimensional characters who happen to be gay but in the modern modern family of life of our culture you may not be able to get away with that which is amazing to me because it's only a couple of years old at this point but this particular episode was both acknowledging how things change in culture But really making fun of it, too, is very balanced, very sophisticated and very funny. And again, I don't think that that will pass muster if someone wrote a sitcom with that theme today. And that's why this why a lot of this alarms me is because things are moving so quickly. And I think it's often hurting art for sure. But I also think it's restricting the creative elements that make our lives more joyful.
2: And now, a commercial message for those of you looking to add Bitcoin to your investment portfolio or retirement account. And I realize that this is a confusing subject. I remember the first time I got Bitcoin, I walked into a convenience store that had the Bitcoin logo, went up to a kind of reverse ATM, fed in some bills, and received, in return, a long series of numbers and letters. Then I spent an hour trying to figure out how to feed those numbers and letters into a Bitcoin wallet on my phone. I wanted to invest in cryptocurrencies, but surely there had to be a better way. And that's what brings me to BitTrust IRA, a seamless, secure, and easy way to add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. BitTrust IRA stores your private keys with military-grade encryption. They have a 24-7 trading platform with no minimum investment and unlimited trades. They also offer what I'm told are the lowest trading fees in the industry. Many crypto assets have been great performers this year, and some analysts will tell you they're a great way to start building intergenerational wealth. For those looking to invest, skip the convenience store and go to bittrustira.com slash quillette to learn more. For a limited time, BitTrust IRA is waiving the sign-up fee for Quillette podcast listeners, a $50 value. Go to bittrustira.com slash quillette, B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T, ira.com slash q u i double l e double t e and now back to our podcast this is a tangent but the episode that was called Fisbo, which is where cameron comes out as 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 a performing clown so he could perform at a kid's birthday party played by uh, Eric Stone Street is probably like maybe the funniest sitcom episode mm. I've seen in my life. <laughs> and to this day, I say, there are five types of clowns. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Google Fizbo. And I want to end on Blue's Clues. You know, I always dislike Blue's Clues for completely different reasons. I just, I, I just found it a super annoying show. And I remember the host, maybe they've had multiple hosts, but there was like this super white guy like the theme was sort of mysteries and he'd say where are my keys and like the whole episode and there was like a talking seed and the whole thing almost seemed like a saturday night live sketch sending up a kids show mm-hmm. you write that they had rupaul's drag race do a kind of
1: crossover like how did they, like what was even the pretext for that i don't know but i don't think you need a pretext that that's one of the messages of my story is that it's going to be in there they're gonna they're gonna find a way to kind of warp the story to get the messages in there and listen that happens with adult programming as well, where they'll, uh, a show will stop cold for the lecture. So, uh, but, you know, this particular one talked about non-binary as far as sort of part of the, the spectrum of family structures.
2: How does that concept even make sense to somebody who's so young that they still think Blue's Clues is entertaining to begin with?
1: I think I, I may have said it before. I'm still struggling with certain uh, societal concepts like non-binary, which is fairly new. I don't. this is, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't hear about non-binary and now we are. So what about a four-year-old? How could, how could they possibly process that, understand that? And I I mean, in a way, it's, talk about falling on deaf ears. If I'm a little kid watching this show, I'm, I'm waiting for the next blues clue. I, I don't think I'm caring about that. So it is interesting that they're going so young when a lot of this is just gonna sail, you know, miles over their heads, I suppose. I, I, I just don't know. And again, I, I'd love to talk to them the the folks who are making these shows, but they I, I reached out to a whole bunch of different uh, organizations that create kids programming, and no one wanted to talk to me about it. But I think that would be a great conversation. I think it'd be very illuminating. You, you mentioned in your article that you gave people opportunity to comment, and they didn't. But I, again, I guess what do they have to gain, right? Or maybe they think it's a hit piece. And I struggled. I am right of center, but when I work for Real Clear Investigations, I aggressively pursue all different angles and I aggressively pursue the left and the right. I, I, I probably reached out to more groups for this story than any story I've written in the last 25 years. I mean, literally, I just I, I reached out to mommy bloggers and daddy bloggers and organizations and everyone. But I often think the lack of an answer is an answer of sorts. So, uh, you know, you can read into that as you will.
2: Christian Toto is the editor of HollywoodIntoto.com. He's an award-winning movie critic, a contributor to The Daily Wire, and his new article, published by Real Clear Investigations, is called Left Foot In, Children's TV is Doing the Wokey Pokey. That's, that headline is, did you write that headline? I wish I did. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot going on in that headline. Um, well okay. thanks for being on the podcast. My
1: pleasure.
0: If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page, that's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.